Check Me Out is made possible in part by a grant from Humanities Texas, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Monica thinks it's her fault and you just put it on the back porch. <laughs> well, okay. for sure it was my fault, but it angered me and I wanted to make it right. I'm just trying to psychoanalyze this. I'm sorry. You need to have a psychotherapist on with us next time. Yeah. I have a good one. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Welcome to Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. I'm Amy Hart, and in this episode, we are talking about the world of cookbooks. We're calling this one What You Got Cooking, and we have got two special guests today, including Hillary Holsey. Hi. Hello, Hillary. And uh, two other guests. I'm going to let them introduce yourselves. Tell us what you do and kind of why you love cookbooks. I'm going to start with Monica. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, My name is Monica Hart. I am an English professor at West Texas A&M, and I have had a lifelong love affair with cookbooks. I am the child of an English teacher slash restaurant owner. Um, (laughs) My mother took a hiatus from her teaching career and was a caterer and opened a restaurant. And so I, I grew up around cookbooks. And then in my 20s, I worked for Williams-Sonoma for about five years in the Northeast and learned about a whole other world of cookbooks. And then I am just a home cook myself who, who loves to read them and loves to use them and eat the things that we create from them. Well, so. I did not know that about you and about your mom. So that's really interesting. Yep. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And then Ruthie sure. or Ruth. Do you go by Ruth now? My friends call me Ruthie. (laughs) (laughs) Let me pick my jaw up off the ground over Monica's intro. My goodness, that was fabulous. Yes, I am Ruthie Landelius, and I'm a private chef by day, and by every other hour, I run a uh, plant-based food blog, and I also am in the process of creating a membership site, a cooking membership site uh, for online home cooks. My addiction to cookbooks started way back in probably about 25 years ago. I'm dating myself, but I just always loved them. I have a problem, I would say. Um, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many I have. I have so many. They're separated into two different states. Um, but yeah, there's there's my story. <laughs> <laughs> and you say two different states and you really mean that. I do. I do. I be, uh, My job as a private chef, I do travel and I work probably half the year in Georgia. And uh, I have a collection there. And I also have my collection here at home in Amarillo. All right. Oh, now, wait a second. I just have to interrupt. In <laughs> Go Georgia? Yes. Where in Georgia? Uh, <laughs> it's in uh, a little town called Thomasville. It's about 30 <gasps> miles from Tallahassee, Florida. Shut the front door. I grew up in Tifton, Georgia, which is about 30 minutes from Thomasville. <gasps> Are you serious? Oh, my God. I'm serious. I'm sorry to hijack the podcast, but it is now all home week. Wow. Wow. We are, we're practically kin, Ruthie. I don't know if you know that or not, but now yes, that you do. Okay. Now that we figure this out, how do you know Kevin Bacon? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
<laughs> that is a story for off air, my dear. Off air. <laughs> you know, you know, he's been in everything and everywhere. Everybody's related to him in some fashion or form. Yeah, I got yeah, six it's, degrees. It's funny. Yeah, six degrees. Wow. But that is so interesting. I love See, it. this I is why y'all it. are meant to be on this episode together. <laughs> Isn't it? Always. So I want to start with asking both of you, what makes a good cookbook? Like, what draws you in? Is it the way it's written? Or is it just the recipes? What is it that you love about them? So I'm going to start with Ruthie this time. Well, oh my gosh. Uh, just the simple fact that it's a cookbook. And if I like the cover, I will... Uh, I will purchase it if it's like online, but if I'm in like Barnes and Noble, I kind of look through it. But the thing about it is it's a, it's a ritual for me. If I find one online that I really like, I want to try it, I'll purchase it. It gets in and I am not kidding you. That cookbook will sit on my bedside table for a good month before I am ready to open it up and look into it. Because I want it to sit there and I, I, I'm hoping and praying that it's going to be good. Like, I'll talk to it every morning. Please be good. Please be good. Please, please be worth the $20 I paid. And after that, when I'm ready to open it, I open it and I read it from beginning to end. Really? I do. And... I like the smell of the pages. Uh, pictures are great. They don't, they're not necessary for me, but I just, it's, it's a ritual. So me. you said cover, you see the cover. Yes. What on the cover needs to be there for you to think it's interesting or something that you would want to buy? Just colorful food. Uh, it's, it's not just a cookbook for me. It's, it's a book of art and as you know, I do uh, create plant-based dishes. However, I'll buy any sort of cookbook if it could have all sorts of animal protein in there because I feel like I can make any recipe vegan. But I do like the idea of being able to look at a recipe and make it my own, you know, um, just try different things, switch recipe, you know, ingredients around to where it's just my own recipe. But it, it, they're great for inspiration. And like I said, it, it can, I consider them art books. Wow. That's really cool. Uh, Monica, what about you? What makes a good cookbook? I think, I think for me, a good cookbook is a lot like any other book that I really come to love. There's something about the voice of it. I get very attached to particular cookbook authors and particular writers because their voice speaks to me. The way they talk about food, the way they talk about feeding people, the way they talk about feeding themselves uh, is, is there's something exciting or something warm or something revolutionary or something familiar about it, right? The, the way a novel would speak to me and I, I I hear Ruthie about the book has to cure for a while before you you get to it. I mean, I think they're like pickles or something. They just have to sit there for a little bit <laughs> before I so decide I feel, if I'm going to have a. I shouldn't feel guilty then for the ones that I have gotten that are just sitting there, right? They're just marinating. They're marinating. No. They're curing. I have not yet decided if we're going to have a relationship. I'm <laughs> contemplating one, but I'm I'm not there yet because once I I go in, I go all in and. Um, um, yeah, I get very attached to them. So, so that's so interesting. Like, do you see yourselves as cookbook collectors? 
or just like lovers of cookbooks? I mean, do you actually collect them? And are there ones that you collect because you're not really going to even use them? I see. Yeah, I I would say I collect them because just throughout my um, cooking career, I have acquired old, old cookbooks. And I even inherited some from my um well, from my previous marriage, his, my ex-husband's grandfather had a lot of those old church cookbooks. You remember the ones you could just buy for like Mm -hmm. $10 and it's from all the women in the church. And these are from Ohio and they're from like the forties. And I just love looking at them and I I haven't cooked anything in them. No ambrosia salads, but just (laughs) seeing how they're written, like the, the ingredients, the oleo, and it's just really, to me, it's just like a museum piece. So I keep those in a separate area my home. Uh, Mm. Yeah, I I would say I collect them, but they're just, my collection is more of a curated collection. And gosh, I'm embarrassed to say I I talk to them. (laughs) I do. It's like your plants, (laughs) but your books. Yeah, 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 absolutely. They bring me joy and I will never get rid of them. interesting conversations I've ever heard between two guests. Me too. <laughs> There's such strange quirks to have regarding cookbooks. I, I know. I, I, when I buy a book from, you know, Barnes and Noble or, you know, off the, off the internet or something, I immediately want to sit down with it and read it. I cannot imagine just like, eh, I'll just... Well, I'll sit there. I I totally understand that. But like with Monica, you can probably attest to this and not just with cookbooks, but even sitting down to enjoy a meal. You have to prepare yourself for that before you start eating it because that's a ritual in itself as well. Yeah. So I'll let you carry on with that conversation on on how you see your cookbooks. (laughs) (laughs) I am a a shameless collector and avid user. I mean, I, I like Ruthie. I've got my mother and grandmother's collection of every church cookbook produced in the state of Georgia for probably 50 years <laughs> sitting on my shelf. And I do I cook from them? Not very often. Am I going to get rid of them? Not on your life because they represent entire communities of women and men who came together to feed other people, and for many of these books to engage in meaningful and serious philanthropic enterprises for their communities. They wrote these cookbooks to raise money to do thus and so. So they they have a sort of resonance beyond the table for me in that way. And then (laughs) I'm embarrassed to tell you um, that I will buy... um, Nigella Lawson's cookbooks. I own every one of them in both the British and the American editions. And yes, I do cook from the British one as soon as it gets here. And so I get to stand there in my kitchen with my phone trying to figure out the history system. That is hilarious. Can I just tell you, you and I are more the same than I thought. I do the exact same. I have an account through Brit, uh, Amazon through the UK because yes. the cookbook covers are different than the ones in the US. And yes, I are. have the Otaling- Yotam Otalingi cookbooks in the British covers because they're more they're more appealing to me. I 100% feel that. Wowzers. I, I, I co-sign that purchase. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Oh my okay. gosh. Y'all are cracking me up. I see as soon as COVID is over, this y'all is a dinner it. party waiting to happen. Y'all Let's do it. I love meet. it. Let's do it. Where do I sign up? We it absolutely do. It is happening. You know, Monica, I want to go back to what you said about church cookbooks. My mother has a ton of them uh, because she belonged to this Baptist church in Amarillo for a really long time. And there is something about owning those that connects to a specific person as well. Like the recipes are all combined from, you know, all these different people. So you might get Lula Mays salad and <laughs> some other southern names uh, dessert uh and i i that is like my distinct memory of these like really they're not polished in any way i actually think my mom did the illustrations for a few of them on the front cover um so can you talk a little bit more about that and like i mean do you connect it with people that belonged to those churches or do you just connect it to like your grandmother or whoever you inherited them from both both actually you know one of my most treasured of, of that brand of cookbook is one that my mother's the garden club council in my home county put together a cookbook and my mother because she was a restaurant owner and a caterer she did all of the food to be photographed for the cover and for the front cover and the back cover and then she contributed a menu and a series of recipes for a special section of the cookbook. And when I read through the recipes, like you said, I recognize the names of those women. I mean, of course, I recognize my mother, but mm -hmm. I mean, my seventh grade math teacher is in there. <laughs> and my, my, my great aunt is in there. And mothers of people I grew up with are in there and my mother's friends and people we knew across town but didn't know well and it it really is like a catalog of my childhood and youth and it's oh, it's it. just it, it, it's really very special and to have that of course for me personally to have that additional connection with my mother makes it really very very treasured so wow that's Monica, awesome I have a question for you yes do you call them church potatoes or funeral potatoes? <laughs> Not funeral What's potatoes. What's the etiquette? <laughs> they're just Depend church potatoes. They're just church potatoes. They're not funeral potatoes. They're church <laughs> potatoes. Yes. Okay. But now, people from Colquitt County might differ from with me on that one. I'm from Tiff mm -hmm. County, you have to understand. So... <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, they are delicious. Yes, they are. They are. So I have a, a question for both of you regarding the church. I had not even th thought about the church and the community or the garden club or whatever cookbooks. I, that had not even crossed my mind. So I'm glad that y'all brought that up. But do you, as even as a kid, did you ever look through and go, why did Susan submit that? Y'all, that is a <laughs> terrible recipe. Or, I mean, is there aspect a snootiness that yes, goes Yes, the aspect <laughs> recipes, my gosh. <laughs> Basically, any cookbook from the 60s I can look at and think, why? Why are we suspending that? in gelatin that that, that has no yeah, business being suspended in <laughs> gelatin in a mold but it was the thing right and I, yeah. I have made a few of those and they are as bizarre um <laughs> as you might think although i will admit to a real fondness for tomato aspect but i'm a product of my upbringing what can i say <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
original reason why we wanted to talk about cookbooks is number one, we haven't gone down this road at all. But two is that originally a lot of people maybe didn't know how to read. Um, and this was how they actually learned how to read. It's my husband, um, Brandon, his, his great grandmother learned how to read from cookbooks because it was the only thing that they had available to read. And so Mm -hmm. she taught herself how to read through cookbooks. Mm So, you know, we just wanted to basically use this time to promote literacy and that it might sound bizarre that cookbooks are a way to learn how to read, but people have actually done that. And I'm wondering if you, do you know of anybody that that has happened with someone, um, you know, especially you're talking about Georgia and that kind of area. I feel like cookbooks were probably a staple in everyone's home at at one point, you know? Well, the cookbooks, yes. And then... The handwritten recipe cards as well that were eventually one day compiled into the cookbooks that people shared with one another, that people passed around, and that, yes, people people perfected their reading skills mm-hmm. and even, even their penmanship and, and in creating these things and sharing them with one another. And so, no, I think that's, I think that's a huge part of certain areas, their sort of history with literacy and with, and with food and with the home and how the written word showed up in the home. And do you, I agree completely with that. Do both of you still like using recipe cards? Yes. (laughs) 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 Moving on. (laughs) I have a little box with my recipe cards in there, and I still use them. They're stained. They're crinkled. They have sauce from <laughs> 1992 dried yeah. on it. And, yeah, yeah that's and just I feel part like, of it. I think recipe oh, I cards, you know, I think about, like you said, my mom saying, oh, I asked your aunt for her potato salad recipe, and she wrote it down. To, and, you know, I got to go by there and, and pick it up, you know. And what a sense of community I feel like that we've kind of lost by not sharing recipes with each other, you know. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter, you know, as you know, she went off to college um, a few years ago and, you know, she calls me all the time, mom, I, I need the recipe for blah, blah, blah. And it got me to thinking I really should put a little recipe card deck together mm-hmm. for her to mm-hmm. have or, you know, some sort of little mini spiral uh, flashcard <laughs> book with all the favorite recipes on there. But yeah, I mean, I still do them. I still write them down and share them with people if they ask for it. For sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll I have a recipe card story that I'll share. It's very short. I uh, My mother passed away in, what year did she pass away? <laughs> April of 2014. And that first Christmas after she died, I realized that I did not have written down anywhere that I knew of her fruitcake cookie recipe that she made Mm. every year at Christmas. And it just shattered me. I was devastated to think that I had no way of recreating this. And I started Googling and none of them looked right. And I was like, no, if it's not that one, I don't want anyone. About a year and a half later, I was going through some final miscellaneous things from the disillusion of my parents' estate and selling everything. And there was a tiny little itty bitty like three by five card uh, recipe box that was inside another box that I didn't even realize was there. And I opened it up and it was 
a treasure trove of recipes from my grandmothers and great aunts and my mother, including the fruitcake cookie recipe. Mm. And I just, oh. oh my goodness, I can't tell you what that find meant to me because it was this tangible material item that my mother and my grandmother had held in their hands and had created and had saved. And I'll be able to save it and, you know, give either it or, you know, reproduction of it one day to to my child. And I don't know, call me sentimental, but I I think those tangible artifacts that trace us back through our history, particularly through something like food that is so primal and so visceral, just massively important. Mm-hmm. My mom, a couple of um, Christmases ago, my big gift from my mom was a giant cookbook full of recipe cards that she hand wrote. Oh. And it's all oh. of her oh. recipes. That's lovely. Yeah. And I opened it and I was I was just shocked. And I knew how much work went into it. But also, I know that is something I will cherish forever, yeah. you know. Um, and, mm-hmm. and hopefully I won't have to track down the fruitcake cookie recipe. There you go. Write uh, it down. <laughs> but what a I lovely, get it. Like, lovely story. I'm so sentimental too. And I, I think that's lovely, but you're right. And there's something about having their, um, handwriting and, you know, mm-hmm. ha- like, like Ruthie was saying, the sauce stains and, you know, mm-hmm. but there's something so it's like, it's like opening an archive. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you read a recipe? I'm sure that your imagination interacts differently with perhaps your mother's recipe where you see her handwriting and the little touches like I can think that my mom and grandmother use like a dash of this and you're like what the heck's a dash um but uh (laughs) what what goes on when you read a recipe or when you read a cookbook is it does it entertain your imagination in a a way that is different from reading a novel or is it the same (laughs) Ruthie you want to go first Well, uh, sure, I'll go first. Um, I do read the recipe all the way through before I begin preparing it, just so I don't miss any, you know, last minute surprises like you have to let something chill for two hours before you can move on, (laughs) because that just really (laughs) angers me when that happens. But uh, yeah, I love the way that they explain the steps in the recipe. Sometimes they're not just uh, add blah, blah, blah into a bowl. And they're, sometimes they, you know, write it out like it's a story and it's entertaining to me. And um, that's, I mean, that's what I do. I, I definitely read through it before I execute. Monica? The same. Absolutely. I I really love this will come as no shock. I'm sure the wordy cookbooks, right? The ones that have long explanation. I mean, Nigella Lawson makes a joke about this. I think it's in How to Eat. She says, look, the, the description for how to make this is going to take you 10 times as long to read as it will to actually make the thing. Just trust me. Just you know, read it and go with me. But I, I, I love that. All of the little details of, now you may be tempted to do this and don't because I tried it and it doesn't work. And if you don't have this on hand, don't worry, try this other herb or try this other spice or try this substitution. And if you want to save it and freeze it or reheat it, you can do this and you can make this much ahead of time. All of those kinds of practical sort of feet in the kitchen on the ground details make a world of difference, I think, for those of us who really 
like that process and and like mm-hmm. thinking through that process as we're as we're reading the narrative that the cookbook author has created for us. So you don't mind those long descriptions. Now let me ask you this because actually this could go for either of you because Ruthie, you actually write blogs that are paired with your own dishes. You know, I I think I've seen so many times on the internet where people just want to look up the recipe and they don't want to scroll past all of your stuff. They just want to read. Right. Like, do you think that that is that we have lost that amount of patience to read those narratives? Uh, yes, we have. And, and I do have, you know, a certain size of, of followers who like, I would say email subscribers and they open my emails every week. I share a recipe, they read my blog and I do have a little button underneath the featured image that says jump to recipe. If you want to jump the rest, you know, jump directly to the recipe and not read my witty story, <laughs> go for it. You know, I'm giving them that option, but y- you're, you're going to lose out on some really important details if you do that. And I tell them that up front. You know, sometimes there's something I write in the blog that has to do with the recipe and they're going to miss out on it if they don't read it. And people who like food blogs, they love the stories. They love to connect with the writer and feel what they're feeling um, with whatever story that they're they're, uh, telling that has to do with the recipe below. So it just really depends on the person, you know. Um, I would say the people who want to jump to the recipe are the Pinterest people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it depends. That's just my opinion. Guilty, by the way. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I look on Pinterest as well. Well, so. I'm, I'm also not. I grew up eating very quick meals, very, you know, non probably nutritious at times meals because they were cheap. And I know Ruthie mm-hmm. and I have talked about this before, how we both kind of grew up similarly. And, and you know, Ruthie mm-hmm. got to a point and was like, I can make whatever I want and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be nutritious and it's going to be whatever. Fill my soul. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep dumping garbage down my throat. Um, oh, Amy. <laughs> but not, I no. don't have that passion for cooking. I just don't. And, you know, I was complaining to Ruthie the other day about doing dishes. And I was like, if I didn't have to do dishes, I'd probably cook way more. And she's like, it's just part of the process. And I'm like, mm. oh, I don't really like that part of the process <laughs> at all. You, but- have to- <laughs> you have to look at it as a form of meditation. You don't have to be sitting on a pillow and with your eyes closed and your your legs crossed to meditate. Um, it's an opportunity for you to connect with the ingredients and have a conversation with them and just, you know, push all your worries aside from the day and just really be in the moment working with those ingredients. Think about where they came from, you know, how they were picked, who delivered them to your store. Just interact with them. And it's, it's so therapeutic. Even washing the dishes. <laughs> Man. It's, it's a therapeutic You inspire uh, me process. and make me want to go cook like right now. So <laughs> that's how I know you're good. I feel very strongly about cooking. Um, I think it's something that everybody should at least get in there and try. You know, food is the universal language that we all speak and it's what connects us all. So why not utilize it? Why not use that gift and just nurture yourself? Give yourself a little self-care, learn a new hobby. It's there for us to grow positively in any in any direction we want to take it. Monica, any thoughts to add to that? Yeah, I love that, Ruthie. I do. I think that's, you know, my I have a 12-year-old son and he is, through quarantine, he has gotten really interested in mm-hmm. cooking and that's he fabulous. has just, I mean, taken off. I mean, he can do, I mean, he woke up one day and he said, I'm going to make Eggs Benedict. And we said, oh, okay. My. Do you, do you know how to poach an egg? No, but I watched a video. Okay. Wow. And went into the kitchen 
and poached a beautiful egg and made a beautiful hollandaise oh sauce. Gosh. And he just he has that confidence that this is doable because no one's ever told him that it's not. Nobody ever said, oh, mm-hmm. oh that's really mm-hmm. hard. Make sure your sauce doesn't break. You know what I mean? Oh, make sure, you know, you don't get too yeah. many of the whites in there. Your egg will be a funny shape or something. So he has mm-hmm. this just enthusiasm and and joy in, in learning how to do these things and confidence that it's all going to work out okay. Mm-hmm. That, oh, well, you know, it's a little overdone. It's a little underdone as long as it's not chicken. We've had some very interesting conversations about cooking chicken. <laughs> we cannot be cavalier about chicken. And, so it, and it's, it's so, it's just really exciting to see him mm-hmm. have that enthusiasm. And part of the reason he has is. it is because he's grown up, I think, in a house where cooking is just part of what we do. It's just part of our routine. It's part of our life. And there are cookbooks everywhere and there are cooking shows on and it's something we talk about. And um, I'm, I'm really happy to to see him doing that because it is a life skill. And we, I shouldn't say this on a mm-hmm. podcast that'll be public, but we do joke with him and tell him that this will make him the most popular person in his dormitory and um, <laughs> will help him in his dating life. That he has these skills. So we feel like true. we've done a great job. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, you've done a fabulous job. That story just wants me, wants to make me cry. Aww. It's just beautiful. And I love that he is 12 years old and he's in there creating. He's just creating and it makes him happy. I love it. Ruthie, do your kids, do your kids cook? Yes. Well, Benny has started learning uh, the love of cooking since she's been living on her own. And then my son, Max, who's 16, uh, when I'm away in Georgia working, um, he's here with his 14-year-old sister, Isabella. Uh, most nights he'll, he'll cook them dinner, the two of them. Cause you know, Brandon, he's, he's vegan. They, and Max and Bella aren't, but he'll make dinner for the both of them. And yes, I get a call, mom, how do you make this? How do you make that? And I love it. I I'm like happy to, <laughs> to help, but yeah, he's quite the, the little chef in the kitchen here. <laughs> That's great. Good. I was just going to say, don't you think part of the impatience with the sort of long narratives and recipes depends on <laughs> literally where you are in your cooking yes. process? Sort of, are you learning? Are you more yes. experienced? Are you 4.30 on a Tuesday and I got to feed hungry people yes. in 45 minutes? Then bam, I got to move to the recipe mm-hmm. and I need to know the internal temperature for a leg of lamb and I don't care about anything else. And that's understandable. I will say, <laughs> That's one big reason why a lot of people, in my opinion, don't like to cook because they have mm. to read a recipe. And that really, it does seem like work. It's work. It's a chore. And mm-hmm. I feel like more and more people, if you're going to get in the kitchen and start learning how to cook, it's important to also know the skill of being able to cook something without using a recipe. Now, we're sitting here talking about cookbooks and recipes, but it's a skill that you should probably learn on its own, you know, learning the methods of cooking and mm-hmm. how seasonings and flavors and textures go together and you could make you anything anytime you want without a recipe. And, you know, that's just another skill that, um, and, and that's also uh, a skill that you acquire by reading cookbooks yeah. and using them. Um, you start to learn what goes with what, and then you start to question that recipe and say, you know what, this chick is, is she's on something that's not going to go. I'm going to do this instead. <laughs> and then you make it your way. And then all of a sudden it's your recipe. So I was going to yeah. ask you, how many times do you break the rules when you're reading an actual? All the okay. time. All the time. I break the rules everywhere I go. 
ask my uh, drawing professor from WT. That's why. That's why I got a B because I would never keep my journal, my my sketchbook. I was like, I don't need to do that. I'm just going to go straight to the project. No, no, I don't follow. I'm horrible at following. And Monica, do you follow? Or do you the break the rules? The first time I make something, I follow it to the letter because I want to see if what this writer has constructed plays out in the way that. I'm, I'm hoping it will. And then after that, sure, I'll improvise. Mm-hmm. But the first time I'm really curious to, to see how the alchemy happens, see if it works. I will have to add, I do do that too. I was joking earlier. <laughs> I do. You have to know if the recipe sucks or not. Yeah. Um, and there are some, there are some epic failures out there and you will have epic failures when you create your own. That's just part of learning. And you will always be learning. You will never know everything there is to know about cooking. Never. How depressing is it when you make a huge mistake? I mean, is it you? You go first. Well, I mean, is it is it, <sighs> is it the money thing? Is it that I'm a failure? Is it that the recipe was a failure? Like, where do you start with it? You know, I think if I think it depends on how often that person is in the kitchen. Back in the day when I really only cooked when I had to cook at competition level, like I had a house full of people coming. And I decided I was going to do, you know, make my own pasta and do stuffed ravioli. Why? Why do that to myself when I've got, I've never done it before and I've got a room full of people coming. If that bombs, sure, I'm going to be really upset with myself. But like Ruthie said, if I'm, if I'm in the kitchen and I'm always sort of working with whatever I cooked yesterday and what I have on hand today and how I'm going to make this recipe fit into something else, then it, if it bombs, it bombs. It's not a huge, it's not a huge failure. And I don't, I, I, me being me, I always assume it's me that the cookbook author was correct and I made some colossal (laughs) error. Um, But that tells you volumes about (laughs) my psyche. (laughs) You want me to make a podcast. Yeah. Seriously. Monica, I'm going to DM you. The two of you together in 2021, there better be a cooking podcast. That would be so awesome. Seriously. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I listen to you two giggle about church and funeral potatoes all day. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, like, with me, I would say if I were – well, and I have – I think the very first dish I made was a French onion soup – we, I had just gotten married. I was 22 and it was the most disgusting thing I'd ever tasted. It was so bad. I didn't even throw it in the trash. I sat it out on the back porch in the bowls and I had forgotten about them and they stayed out there for three months. And, and yes, I never take the trash out. My husband at the time did. So he would just pass them by every day, three times a day. But that upset me so much that I failed at making that French onion soup. That is the catalyst that made me go into learning how to cook. Because it aggravated me. And I thought, you know what? I can do better than that. And so I just started buying cookbooks, magazines. You know, back then there wasn't really the internet. Um, Dating myself again. Holla. (laughs) And I would just throw myself into these publications. And that's how I learned. And then I would start cooking for my friends and family. They loved it. They started, you know, oh, you should go do this. You should go. You should cook. You should personal chef for people, blah, blah, blah. And it just grew from there. But yeah, if I hadn't have made that nasty French onion soup. Your rock bottom French onion soup. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Absolutely. So Monica thinks it's her fault, and you just put it on the back porch. <laughs> well, okay. for sure it was my fault, but it angered me, and I wanted to make it right. By I'm just trying to psychoanalyze this. I'm sorry. You need to have a psychotherapist on with us next time. Yeah, I have a good one. Um, yeah. What a delight this is. Yeah, I have French onion soup issues. This is going to be an odd question. I'm asking this because I know what the answer is for Monica. Well, for me anyways. But what is the oddest thing you have in your pantry right now? I have to go look before she gets to me. Why do you know Monica's? Because she posts about it. Oh, because I have a horrible internet reputation. I have an internet you. nickname. I am the bougie condiment queen of the yes. apocalypse. Oh, oh I gosh. saw that. I did see that. I have a caper issue and I have a Dijon mustard issue. So when the apocalypse comes and you find yourself in need, I'm going to say, you better say capers because it is capers. You have like how many jars of capers now? <laughs> Last time I had six. Oh my gosh. Well, who needs six jars of capers? You do. you do. It's 2020. We, we don't know what tomorrow you brings. I mean, thank you. Exactly. Thank you for, for supporting my bougie hoarding issues with, that you is know. Hilarious. <laughs> No, I can explain why she has all those capers. And I've only met her today. Do tell. They're such cute little jars that you find at the store. And sometimes you'll buy a, a condiment because the jar is adorable. Who cares what's in it? Mm. When you buy those little jars, they get lost in your pantry. And then when you need more, you're like, oh, I need capers. I need capers. And <laughs> yeah, you forget they're in there in the back. Why is that? They get pushed to the back. Yes, and that's why. Because yeah, they're little. Yeah. yeah. So that, is that why? So that's how it happens, so I think. True. I think so. And, and I think it's one of those things where you think you've probably eaten the whole thing by now. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, we probably need capers. And then you go ahead and buy them thinking... Well, I probably, you know, we'll finish off this jar and then we'll start the next one. Mm-hmm. But then there's no finishing them off. They just last forever. They are like little gizmos. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you've got gremlins in your pantry. Paper gremlins. I'm a little afraid to open one of the jars now. I don't know what will happen, right? If I break up the set. I mean, they're just, they're just, yeah. just wackiness. Yeah, you've got a solid set of six. I mean, I would either work towards eight or you're oh going to have to get, gosh. yeah, you have to go back down to a four four piece. <laughs> Ruthie, what's the weirdest thing in your pantry right now? Well, I, I'm kind of confused because her weird thing was just having six of one thing. It wasn't necessarily a weird <laughs> ingredient. But so I, I want to piggyback off of that is I end up having countless half full containers of oats and <gasps> bags of mm. bread flour because I make a lot of mm-hmm. pizza. And I use the bread flour for the dough. And those two things I have an abundance of. But probably the weirdest thing I have in my... Oh, gosh. I don't know. Uh, Kalanamak salt. What is that? Which is a black... Mm. It's a black 
sea salt, and it's not actually black in color. It, it looks like Himalayan salt, but mm. it smells very sulfurous, like eggs. And that is a, a vegan uh, ingredient that we add into recipes that we want that egg taste. You know, if I make a tofu mm. scramble, I put the kalamak salt in there, and it makes it taste like eggs. Nice. Yeah. And I've had Ruthie's tofu scramble, y'all. <laughs> It is so good. Thank like you. I am not a tofu kind of gal and I was sold. It was so good. Yeah. But you use Indian spices in your tofu scramble. Yeah. Well, yeah, a little bit. Uh, well, it's some coriander. Um, I can't remember what else I put in there. The Kalanamak, uh, nutritional yeast. Oh, and Monica, there's Dijon mustard in there too. <laughs> so yes. they're really, really good. So yeah, when you combine all those ingredients, voila, you have an egg flavored egg substitute. Yeah. Delicious. They are really, really good. <laughs> we had a, a really good, it was one of my, I feel like that was one of the last things I did before quarantine was mm-hmm. I went to have breakfast at Ruthie's house with another friend of ours and we, oh man, it was just, oh, everything was You're so, so amazing. It was say. so good. <laughs> but you know, Ruthie is all about the fellowship and discussions and like, it's not just about the food. And I think that's really important. And I really hope that that's not an art that's lost with this generation, you know, Um, because I feel like I feel like cookbooks are kind of going by the wayside now, you know, a little bit. And and I hope it's not just a Pinterest thing anymore and that people can just jump on and and get a recipe right now, the second, you know, all the Mm -hmm. time. I think that's convenient, but I think taking the time to really sit down with your friends and have a dinner and, and break bread, literally. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Mm -hmm. it's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And cooking, the whole idea of cooking shouldn't even be in a category where you have to decide whether it's convenient or not. Mm -hmm. It's just a life skill that we all should really start getting used to Mm -hmm. because it's, it's just glorious. And until you know, what it's like to get in there and just do the whole ritual from, from beginning to end to sitting down and gathering at the table and having your people around and enjoying something that you created out of love for them. Like it's, it's just, it's wonderful. And I just can't imagine. That's why I get so upset when people say, Oh, I hate cooking. I hate me. I don't, I don't have time. I don't have, you know, I, I take it personal. I really do. Mm-hmm. I'm and trying to learn I need, from you. I, need I am. I need, I need, I need therapy. <laughs> One thing that'll that will help buoy and boister and help sustain cookbook writing and the cookbook industry is people like Vivian Howard, who has gone home to North Carolina and has written very beautifully and evocatively about how this tiny section of North Carolina that she's from is like it's like her Tuscany. It's like her Provence. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is where all of her energy as a chef ultimately stems from, she's realized. And she's mm-hmm. gone back to showcase the recipes and the produce and the, the community, the agricultural community in that yes, area yes, of yes. North Carolina. And, you know, one of the things that we, we make a real mistake of doing is glumping cuisines together you know like there's some sort of monolithic southern cuisine i mean what a what a myth right i mean it's Mm -hmm. just not i mean what she grew up eating in north carolina is so very different than what i grew up eating in south georgia and what people in east texas ate etc etc and so i think writers like that who can Mm -hmm. show us something that is somewhat familiar but also radically eye-opening only cookbooks can do that 
Only cookbooks right. can do that. You cannot do that with an image on the internet. You just can't. That's right. And and a lot of these writers are not only sharing personal stories, they're they're becoming memoirs slash cookbooks. Yes. They're wanting to do things to help our planet, our future. They're gardening. They're going into sustainability. They're um, tapping into, you know, ways to fix like the food deserts. You know, there's, you know, a lot of people don't live in areas where they can just grab everything we can go to Market Street and grab today. You know, there's um, writers out there and chefs who are writing cookbooks that are helping our earth and the people on it who don't necessarily have um, access to the same things that we have here is what I'm trying to say. So I, I hope that physical cookbooks don't ever go away. I mean, they just can't. They just can't. I don't even want to think about it. There's no substitute to the, the sauce and butter stained item <laughs> sitting on the butcher block in the kitchen that I mean, you just, you know, there's no substitute. The worst thing that happens if I spill the sauce on my cookbook is the pages wrinkle. If I spill it on my iPad, it's a tragedy, right? I mean, I just, I, I don't need that kind of pressure. I don't need that kind of pressure in my life. Not to mention the... The amount of germs that are on that your iPad. Right. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank Do you. not <laughs> remind me about that. Yes. <laughs> One of the things, you know, obviously this is a podcast about books, not just cookbooks, but all kinds of books. But we were talking um, earlier, Hillary and I were talking about certain novels that talk about mm -hmm. food and how cookbooks have mm. spun off of those novels. Um, oh. You know, Harry Potter being a big one. You know, I think one of the favorite things for, for kids reading Harry Potter is like, what's butterbeer? Mm -hmm. How do I get it? Like, mm -hmm. what does it taste mm -hmm. like? So they're, you know, they talk about feast and all of mm -hmm. the food that they have. And there have been a lot of cookbooks come out of novels. So are there any of those that you have cooked out of? Um, or do you know of any? Yes. <laughs> I had a feeling Monica would know. I just had a feeling. Go ahead, Monica. Oh, Monica, do you have the Downton Abbey book? Now, come on. I do, I do not have the Downton Abbey book. I, I'm falling way short, and my I'm going to lose all my Britlit street cred. I do not. But I do own the Martha Stewart authored Pride and Prejudice cookbook. Ooh, and oh I have made my. things from it. And I keep threatening to teach a continuing ed class <laughs> where we come together and make a recipe every week. And then we sit down to eat it together and talk about X number of chapters of Pride Aww. and Prejudice. And that's fabulous. one day, wouldn't that be fun, right? Yes, to have a group I'm of there. people all come together and make this in the kitchen and then sit down at the table and discuss this magnificent work of literature. That's my vision. One day That's when I have fabulous. world enough in time. Aww, I love it. <laughs> Me too. Where do I sign up? <laughs> Ruthie? I can't say I own any. No, I, I can't say I own any. There are some that I've coveted. You know, of course, the Downton Abbey cookbook. And, and, and I'm talking about movies as well, not just novels. Mm -hmm. But, and the Hannibal one. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> just to say, or the Sopranos cookbook. Yes. I mean, it's, they're novelties, but oh my gosh, they're, they're I fabulous. I was telling Amy earlier about... Hannibal. I, when I did my master's, I wrote a paper on the relationship between death and food. And how, this could go really far. Uh, it could be an entire 20 page paper. Just letting you know that. Um, and how, how there is like ritual involved in both. And I think things like the Hannibal cookbook are awesome for that reason. Uh, just because I think the things that people would find grotesque, there's another side to that coin, sort of. I don't know. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think it's worth I've seen Walking Dead cookbooks, I think. I don't. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know if there's a Breaking Bad one, but that would be a different cookbook, probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those are television. I, with us talking about this uh, topic, I, I can't, something else came to mind is just movies that are mm-hmm. about food or, or food centered. And I adore them, like Chocolat mm-hmm. and oh, um, yes. Julie and Julia. Like, that's one of my favorite movies. And the best part is the beginning where she takes the bite of the fish and turns to her husband and has him try it. And she just, she's speechless. She's like, it's so good. I don't understand it. I can't, I have no words. And I connect with that moment because that happens to me every time I sit down and eat a meal. <laughs> like, it's just, I love those movies. That those is kinds a great movie, Ruthie. That's one I watch that mm-hmm. probably twice a year. I'm not going to lie. And it's just, oh, I'm the same way. That nerve and cowboy. <laughs> just, I love the, the construction of the cookbook part of it and how like she is like the contemporary blogger doing the same thing that Mm -hmm. Julia Child did. And that movie, my mom saw that movie and she, that prompted her on a new quest to learn a lot of new things. My mom had never made a souffle and so she, I mean, she went and got Julia Child's books and started teaching herself how to make a lot of those dishes because my mom was so like enthralled by, by she loved the movie so much and was like, I want to learn, you know, new ways to cook. And so she's learned a lot of things since Meryl then. Meryl Streep so, has that yeah, effect it's, on people. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I would do pretty true. much anything Meryl Streep wanted me to do. Just saying. Yeah, I got way into fashion for a little bit because <laughs> of Double Wear Product. No, I didn't. I actually didn't. Oh my gosh, we could go down such a weird path with Meryl Streep. So I do want to ask you one final question, and that is, can you recommend some of your favorites? What are the cookbooks you keep going back to? Monica, we'll start with you. Yes. Um, Nigella Lawson's How to Eat and How to Be a Domestic Goddess and Feast are the three of hers that if you tried to take them from me, we would have issues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unpleasant issues. Rick Bayless's cookbooks, all of them, he talks with such love and affection about Mexico and Mexican cuisine. I just, I, I really love his books. Richard Olney is his simple, I forget the exact title, but Simple French Cooking it's masterful. It's wonderful. Dory Greenspan. If Dory Greenspan doesn't make you want to just drop everything and move to Paris mm-hmm. and bake for the rest of your life, I, I don't know who would. Vivian Howard, I, I think I mentioned, and Mark Bittman. Um, I, I was vegan for a year, and Mark Bittman's veggie book, which I'm forgetting, the How to Cook Everything Vegetarian, right? was just uh, was wonderful it was a it was a mainstay so knowledgeable and he's he's such a wonderful but sort of grumpy bossy cookbook writer he's not at all nurturing he's a little sort of do this and don't do that and don't be a jerk about it which i i kind of respond to so yeah i Ricky, what would you recommend? Well, um, I'm kind of all over the place. I have a couple that are, of course, vegan or plant-based cookbooks. The first one um, is called Wicked Healthy Cookbook by uh, Chad and Derek Sarno, their brothers. And they have just been uh, a new fixture in the vegan plant-based world with their innovations with mushrooms. And they really know how to make a good brisket with 
a lion's mane mushroom. Mm, <laughs> like it's, it's just craziness yum. what they can do with a mushroom. And, um, there's also another cookbook called cook beautiful that I keep going back to. And that one's by Athena Calderon. She is a designer by trade, I think, but she also put out this lovely cookbook that's separated into the four seasons. And of course she's got, you know, starters, mains, desserts, and things within each season. And I keep going back to that one. Uh, especially I, I use those recipes for my day job you know, cause I cook for, for someone else, but, um, it's just a lovely, lovely cookbook. And then for me in my spare time, I do enjoy challenging myself with some more technical advanced dishes. There is also a cookbook author, um, a restaurateur named Matthew Kenny. He runs a, uh, a culinary institute called Food Future Institute, and his dishes are just elaborate. They're art on a plate, and it could take you two days to make one thing. Um, but the cookbook called Plant Lab is something that I'm really getting into heavily right now with him because it just challenges me, helps me grow in what I learn with cooking. And those are really the three I keep going back to. I think it's interesting you m- mentioned the one about uh, mushrooms and for mm-hmm. Panhandle PBS, for the saver at home for the holidays. Mm-hmm. You made a mushroom-based Wellington, which looks Mm. incredible. And I cannot (laughs) wait to try that. So, yeah, that sounds really, really good. You Um, can see um, a lot of Ruthie's videos that she's done with Panhandle PBS on our YouTube page or on our website at panhandlepbs.org. And you can follow the bougie condiment queen on her Instagram and Facebook You can also listen to, I believe it's episode 15, Keep Austin Weird, of checking out last season where you hear Monica just being the lovely woman that she is. So, thank you guys. (laughs) And waxing rhapsodic about Austin again. (laughs) We know how to pick you, Monica. We know what works best for you. You bougie condiment queen. You bougie bougie. Anytime y'all want to get together and break some bread, I want to do it. So we we need to. In fact, I need to look you up, Monica. I don't even know your last name. Hart. H A R T. Y'all are gonna love no. each other, and your new podcast it's is gonna, gonna be amazing when y'all start. Yes, we have to get that. <laughs> we have to get to be producers. It's funny that you you mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> we would love to do it. We'll have to get it going. And I, I have to add, you know, you're mentioning you being the bougie condiment. My newsletter is called Amu's Bougie. Oh, see, I want royalties. Hillary yeah. and I get royalties on this yes. podcast. I'm not even playing. I actually got chills. This is like this is <laughs> destiny. Aren't we having some sort of eclipse today? Yes. I'm telling yes. you. Yes, it's our human design. It's the moon <sighs> and whatever. It, yes, it's all happening. <laughs> Fell into <laughs> place. Well, thank you yes. both for joining us. Uh, this was one of my favorite episodes. I think we've oh ever done. Honestly, I'm so happy to be a part of it. Thank you for inviting me, Absolutely. and I was so happy to meet Monica. <laughs> oh, this has been lovely. Thank you so much, Ruthie. A pleasure. A pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Same. Same. Check Me Out is recorded in the FM90 and Panhandle PBS studios on the Washington Street campus of Amarillo College. The show is produced by Hillary Halsey and me, Amy Hart. Big thank yous to Colin Lutz, Jake Day for being our editor, Stevie Brashears for designing our logo, and the Mag7 for providing music. Check us out on Facebook. And make sure you hit subscribe wherever you may be listening.